I'm giving Darren a hard time, including skipping week zero, if you're looking at our play sheet, because his <laughs> beloved Vanderbilt Commodores played week zero. And I figured since their game was delayed by weather, I would delay Darren talking about that game. So, <laughs> At least you didn't make me wait two hours. That's... <laughs> It's time for the Brew and Shaver Sports Podcast. Coming at you every week to talk all the things that make us love sports. The games, the rivalries, and of course, the personalities. The March. I almost said the March, man. Uh, I'm going to go to the Walmart. Uh, I like indefinite articles, okay? (laughs) Can we just start over? Absolutely. Welcome back to another episode of the Brew and Shaver Sports Podcast. <laughs> Such a uh, Metallica sounding intro that we have every week. It We're... kind of is, isn't it? <laughs> I wonder who that could be. Hmm. <laughs> who is this Metallica you speak of? I don't <laughs> We are celebrating here in Northwest Louisiana because it's the first day since 1901 that we've not been in triple digits. <laughs> exactly. Woo! It's 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 like a cold snap has come through. <laughs> and we've just finished week zero. We are heading into week one. And here at the Brew and Shavers Sports Podcast, we believe in complete honesty and transparency. You ever feel like you listen to commentators and you're like, well, they have an axe to grind. They have a bias. Mm-hmm. Well, I've decided today, since it's week one, that I'm going to remove all doubt. If you didn't know that I'm an LSU fan, I'm letting you know right now. <laughs> complete transparency. I will be That's right. I will be totally biased toward LSU throughout this season. Yes. And if you're certain SEC teams, I'll probably have a hard time finding nice things to say about you. That's what Darren is for. <laughs> so take that, politicians. You know, Darren. <laughs> Did you watch that uh, that first Republican debate the other night? Oh, of, of course. That was, you know, we didn't have football on, so why? I mean, why not? It's entertaining, at least, right? <laughs> There's like so much to wade through. Like, what oh, is yeah. just propaganda, and what is yep. what's genuine transparency? Yep. I don't know. It's kind of like watching ESPN talk about the Big Ten. You got to filter through too much, <laughs> right? <laughs> They love the Big Ten. Don't yes, they, they do. <laughs> well, we have some news to talk about that doesn't involve the Big Ten. Uh, by the way, I rewatched that uh, semifinal game last year, Georgia and Ohio State. Mm-hmm. What a great game. That was an incredible game. It really I was. I don't know if we have any Ohio State fans watching, but I figure we'll just sever that relationship with the Big Ten in this episode. <laughs> That Ohio State loss was great. We'll just let that sit there. Is that the way way they say it? (laughs) The ACC has ramped up discussions again about adding Cal, Stanford from the Pac-12, and SMU from the, uh, were they from the American? Yes. SMU has said they'll forego revenue sharing, what, for seven years and... Stanford yeah. and Cal are coming in at maybe 30%. Anyway, there was supposed to be a meeting tonight. This is Monday night. But there was a, unfortunately, there was a shooting on the University mm-hmm. of North Carolina campus and the meeting was postponed, which is, the meeting's not the big deal here. The 
Oh, absolutely. We, we want to express our condolences to the family. I, I believe it was a professor who was shot yeah. and killed on campus. And we, we want to express our condolences to uh, that professor's family. Absolutely. We, we hate to see that. And when you yep. think about something like that, sports, the importance of sports pales in comparison. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's one of those moments when sports becomes a thing that in the, in the days to follow can offer an opportunity for a little bit of distraction. Uh, and, and that's the only important sports can really play in, in that kind of moment. It, it can become something that, that's distracting and or unifying, but in comparison, there is no comparison. That's really the only importance it has in the, in these kind of moments. Absolutely. As it stands right now, it appears the meetings will take place uh, maybe Tuesday, Wednesday. It looks like they're going to take a formal vote. What do you what do you do you see this? You see Florida State and Clemson getting on board with it this time, Darren, or do you do you see another? You know, when there's conference realignment, one of the things that everybody has to talk about, but nobody really wants to talk about out loud, is somebody's got to take the L. <laughs> if you are adding team on top of team on top of team, somebody's got to take the L it, it, when you, you keep expanding teams. And I think even though, again, they would never say it from, from a press conference podium, if, if you're Florida State and you're Clemson, especially in the state that the programs are in, those programs are in right now, there's some teams in this that are going to be L's. You know, you're building in, you're building in some L's for some of those other teams. So I think that gives it a higher probability that it gets the vote that it that it needs. But it's still going to be interesting because I, I think it's just such a weird dynamic to decide to add teams and not add teams and who you add. So I think it's very up in the air, but I think the group. These the schools that they're looking at gives it a higher probability of taking place. We'll be watching to see the news out of those meetings and how that vote goes, if indeed they do take a vote. In other ongoing discussions, we have the subject of playoffs. The 12-team playoffs that was voted and approved on. Now there's discussion, what do we do with automatic qualifiers, namely since the Pac-12 is virtually on life support. Mm -hmm. So I think this has to do, Darren, with revenue sharing, but but also, as you pointed out before, what's going to go on? What's going to happen with the Pac-12? Yeah, I, I think that has to be a huge part of the conversation. Obviously, the only reason you're expanding to 12 is to create more money. So the revenue sharing is going to be the huge roadblock, uh, the huge arguing point, uh, and the the, the huge focus uh, of any meeting and any conversation. But I think right now, with all of the conversation that took place, getting to the point where you've got automatic qualifiers from Power Five schools, I mean, you've got a, a I mean, the the Pac-12 is sitting there as an automatic qualifier right now. Uh, there's just no way that has to be addressed immediately. Uh, I, I don't know how they address it. I don't know if they just remove that. I don't know if they create some kind of, if if the Pac-12 person, if the Pac-12 qualifier is not ranked above a group of six, then you then you have to, you know, the group of six gets it or what. There, there's got to be some kind of additional qualifier that's in there because that's, that's ridiculousness right now. Uh, and if the Pac-12 just goes out and adds a bunch of teams 
that aren't power five teams just to keep their conference afloat, that it's not an automatic qualifier conference at that point. Uh, so uh, that has to be a very lengthy and serious conversation to have in the midst of everything they're talking about with the 12 team playoff. You, you got me sold, Darren. You you have my vote. I want to encourage all our <laughs> listeners to vote for Darren in 2024. He is committed to dealing with the Pac-12 debacle immediately, and we we can take his word. That's on right. This. I will not be a candidate that just talks about it. There you go. <laughs> now, is this something that you can do, or do you need congressional approval to do this? Well, if we need congressional approval, it'll never happen. So what's the... (laughs) (laughs) I'm giving Darren a hard time, including skipping week zero, if you're looking at our play sheet, because his (laughs) beloved Vanderbilt Commodores played week zero. And I figured since their game was delayed by weather, I would delay Darren talking about that game. So (laughs) At least you didn't make me wait two hours. That's... (laughs) Darren, I know you have some thoughts about this game, and since you are the Vanderbilt fan on this podcast, I'm going to yield the floor to the representative from. Well, you're not Vanderbilt. from Tennessee. No, Tennessee. I just not from. We'll just go with from Vanderbilt, from the southeast. How's that? Is that? Did you change residence? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're going to box there. Yeah, we're, we're going to Darren. We're going to need your birth certificate before we can continue. <laughs> And and two things that verify address. Is that your current address? Um, Well, first of all, just like we talked about last week, the thing we have to acknowledge is right now, if the season ended today, Vanderbilt would be the SEC regular season champs. I just just want to point that out. They are 1-0. They are the SEC leaders in the clubhouse today. So no matter what, we have to acknowledge that. And by the way, this is for the second year in a row. Just just want to point that out as, out as well. <laughs> it's a two-piece Outs, like Georgia. Yeah, that's right. Week one champs, two week zero champs, two years in a row. <laughs> uh, outside of that, you know, it's like Coach Clark Lee said during his press conference, we're going to take a win. We would much rather uh, learn from a win than from a loss. But – with all of the preseason hype about the offensive line and the improvement of overall speed and athletic ability, uh, there were some very disappointing things on the field. Uh, Hawaii straight up pushed around the front seven uh, or, or the, the the fronts of, of, of each side of the ball at different times during the game, both offense and defense. Uh, the uh, offensive that or the defensive backfield, the safeties were strong. Obviously, Ricky Wright is the reason they won the game. His two interceptions uh, were basically a fourteen point turnaround. You know, one of them kept a touchdown from happening; the other one sealed the, the win. But the cornerbacks, I mean, you know, all they were missing was eggs and hash browns, man. They were toast on on a breakfast plate. They were just burnt the entire night uh, without fail. The the freshman uh, uh, height specifically played better than the upperclassmen did, but he's a freshman. So he's going to have his issues, and that's just the way it is. But when those are your options and you're thinking about playing teams like Tennessee, uh, you know, Ole Miss, that's horribly scary. And it was scary beforehand, but after seeing what happened on the field, it's even scarier. All that being said, for the first time in 15 seasons or something like that, back-to-back season opening wins for Vanderbilt, I'll take it. Hopefully the things that 
that need to be improved can be improved throughout the start process of the season. That has happened to the first two years under Clark Lee. So it's a win. I'll take it. But whew, when you think about what the schedule looks like, there are some scary things that just looked rough playing Hawaii. And that that gives me pause to, to hurt a little bit when I think about the rest of the season. <laughs> Did I do that briefly enough? How was that? Speaking of scary things, Darren, were you a little on edge during the bad weather about that scoreboard, I think, that was being held up by cranes? <laughs> that was swaying in the wind, yes. That was, a, that was very scary. Unfortunately, when you have a stadium that hasn't had anything major done to it since the 60s, guess what? Or it may have been the 80s, but still. Either way, there are going to be some – it's not going to be a fast process, and it's going to look ugly – and it does. There's there's just no way around it. <laughs> it it's getting done. It's it's good. It's progress right. construction, but it's mm -hmm. a pain uh, yep. in the process. Remember Arkansas? They went through this not that long mm -hmm. ago, and yeah. uh, these things take time, unfortunately. Yeah, and sometimes right. uh, sometimes the weather doesn't cooperate. Not everybody is Texas A&M that has the, the money that can, they just, well, we'll just build a new stadium. Give us three months. We're good. We're good. No, not everybody has that kind of resources. So <laughs> we'll just take shots at everybody tonight. We're <laughs> Meanwhile, where we give, where we live, we have, we have a bridge that there was a study done in 1992 that it needed to be replaced and nothing's mm -hmm. happened to it. So maybe, <laughs> maybe we need to talk to the folks from Texas A&M. Yeah. It's still a back burner issue. <laughs> we have games this week, more games, I should say. And we want to go ahead and make some picks for you uh, as we, uh, in the early part of the show tonight, Starting with Thursday night, a rematch between Florida and Utah, but this time Florida doesn't have Anthony Richardson. Yes. This time they're going to Utah. Yes. And Cam Rising is, is there's some question of whether or not he's going to play and how effective he can be. Now he has tentative, tentatively been set as the starter. Um, so that definitely adds another layer to it because honestly, I, I feel like if, if he's the starter and he's at full force, which is a huge question, I think they obviously are the, are the favorite in, in this game and, and will most likely win it with it being in Utah. But if, if they're going to spend the night playing their second and third guys, even though they've had fall camp, it's still your first time in live action. If you're those guys, um, that, that makes it a little bit more iffy, but I, I think ultimately, unless it's just something that was horribly wrong with Cam Rising uh, and he's not able to play, I, I think this is – I think it's a Utah win. What do you think? You make a lot of sense, Darren, but I've never claimed to be an unbiased podcaster. I'm going with the <laughs> SEC, baby. I, I believe in Billy Napier. He's going to find a I way know it, again. Man. I know it. I hope he does. I think that would be awesome. I'm gonna. I'm pulling for the Gators. Yep. All right. How about Ball State, Kentucky? Do we even need to talk about this? Well, you know, Ball State starting. No, I, Kentucky wins. 
if Kentucky doesn't win, Mark Stoops, I take back everything good I've said about you. Can you imagine how fired up Lexington would be with all of the preseason hype if they go out and lay an egg against Ball State and get beat? That it it might look like uh, Knoxville when um, uh, I'm blank. Ole Miss head coach. <laughs> yeah, Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin. It might look like Knoxville when Lane Kiffin left. Man, that, that would get ugly quick. <laughs> if Kentucky loses to Ball State, I have a picture of John Calipari smoking a big old stogie, thinking, <laughs> "At last, the world is going back to normal." <laughs> like I said, a basketball school. That'll be the caption. <laughs> I think we both have Kentucky. How about yeah. Virginia and Tennessee? Uh, man, and we'll talk about it more in the in the Tennessee preview. I'll get into this a little bit more. I, I still think quarterback is an uncertainty. I know people are really, really happy about the way the, the, the final couple of games went, but that's such a small sample size. That being said, I don't think Virginia will be able to create the stress that leads to offensive issues. So, so Tennessee wins. You just created unnecessary drama. There's no way Virginia's even in this game. Tennessee <laughs> wins big. What was that about? I, I, I have concerns about Joe Milton. I've said that all along, and we'll we'll talk we'll talk about that a little bit more in the preview. But I have concerns. Just saying. Hang in there. Hang in there, Knoxville. Exactly. Yeah. We're not going to let Darren get away with this. An intriguing matchup, North Carolina versus South Carolina, mm -hmm. featuring some pretty good quarterbacks, uh, Drake yep. May from North Carolina and Spencer Rattler from South Carolina. How do you see this one going? I, I can't believe I'm going to pick against the SEC twice, but I am. I don't have a whole lot of confidence in South Carolina's offense, and we talked about that last week. Dow Loggins, I don't. You know, as a as a, a Vanderbilt fan and as somebody that spent a lot of time in Tennessee watching the Titans during the horrible offensive years, I've seen some really bad offenses and, and know how ugly it can be. And North Carolina's got so much strength. I think North Carolina surprises South Carolina and wins this game. What do you think? I'm going to go with South Carolina. Even if the offense struggles, I believe Shane Beamer will channel that pure adrenaline that he has into points somehow, some way. I don't know. It might be part of the the Marvel universe, or <laughs> but, but somehow his his hyperness and creativity can create a parallel universe where they slip in and take the lead or something. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm for it. I'm for it. They're going to bring Flash in and make a much better movie than the most recent one that was released. Goodness. Well, now that, that's not a challenge, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. We got a big one Sunday night, but before we get to that, I do want to give a shout out because I know we have some fans in West Virginia, and even though we're not talking a whole lot about the Big 12 this year, West Virginia's got a huge game. They're going to Happy Valley to play Penn oh, State. yeah, that's and, right. And this is one of those games that is – a historic rivalry that kind of got mm -hmm. tossed to the side that has come back. Mm -hmm. I, I'm glad to see it. I'm excited about it. Yeah, agree completely. That'll be fun to watch for sure. Sunday night, we've got a big game. Yep. Two top 10 teams, LSU, Florida State, playing in Orlando. Two Heisman Trophy candidates at yep. quarterback. Jordan Travis from Florida State, Jaden Daniels from LSU. 
Darren, how's this one going to go down? The only LSU allowed everything that happened last year to happen. It was their own mistakes that put them in the position for the, 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 you know, the turnovers, all of those different things. And I don't think that happens this year. I think this is a real possibility for LSU to not only win, but make a pretty emphatic statement. And I think they do. I think not only does LSU, not a blowout, not talking a blowout, but I'm thinking LSU shows some dominance in the process of winning this game. I, I think it's going to be a really, really nice win for LSU. I'm going with the Tigers. In the, in the words of Coach O, go Tigers. Go Tigers. <laughs> and they're going to win because in the words of Brian Kelly, we're family. That's right. <laughs> that family was way too short. But anyway, we'll leave that be. We <laughs> I'm easing up on Brian Kelly because he did well, such a good job in the first year. He had year. a nice first year, yeah. <laughs> He's slowly winning my heart over, slowly. I, I would say so. Wins will do that. Yes, they really do, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's pause before we make our uh, final previews. And let's go to this week in sports history. August 29, 2021, the final of the Little League World Series was played at the Howard J. Lamad Stadium in front of a crowd of about 10,000 people. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, only U.S. teams were allowed to participate with two teams from each region. Michigan represented the Great Lakes region, while Ohio represented the Midwest region. Both teams advanced to the final by winning their respective semifinal games against Hawaii and South Dakota. Michigan took an early lead with two runs in the first inning and one run in the second inning thanks to hits by Jackson, Serma, and Ethan Van Bell. Ohio scored one run in the third inning and one run in the fifth inning, but Michigan added two more runs in the fifth inning to seal their victory by 5-2. Michigan pitcher Gavin Ewell threw a complete game and struck out eight batters, while Serma was named player of the game for his three RBI. Michigan became the first team from their state to win the Little League World Series since Hamtrak. 1959. Oh, thank you. <laughs> wow, that synthesizer during this week in sports history, I was waiting for it to go into the the opening chords of jump. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Dun, dun, dun. There was a little bit of a jump and a little bit of a Stranger kind of Things kind of thing going on as well. It kind yeah. of gave me some Stranger Things vibes. But and then we so went was into looking... the. That's right. Is that <laughs> you? Is that you playing guitar? That is not me playing guitar. I may be playing bass, but it is not me playing guitar. And as we've talked about before, it is JT Jazzy Shelf on the drums. Nice, nice. Well, let's get into some previews preseason previews the remaining teams that we have and you may be looking at the list wondering why is Oklahoma and Texas on this list because we've already included them and brought them into the fold of the SEC That's right. they are we're, SEC 
we're so excited to have them. And that's about the only nice thing we're going to say about them. <laughs> Welcome to the SEC. That's right. Now, we have some fans that actually responded that love their team enough that they they recorded videos, uh, preview videos. I can't even talk. <laughs> You're so excited that they love their team that much, right? <laughs> and so Zach, one of our longtime listeners, who is a big-time Oklahoma fan, sent in a video. So let's go ahead and watch Zach's preseason prediction for the Oklahoma Sooners. All right, so the University of Oklahoma Sooners um, projecting this year that they go 10-2. and two. Uh, Looking at the schedule this year, last year in the Big 12, uh, they got to face some of, the, some of the newer opponents, and it seems to be a little bit easier than it has in the past. Their biggest opponent this year is Texas, and besides Texas, there's really not a lot to technically look forward to. There'll probably be a couple slip-up games, not really knowing which one will be. Uh, this year, I expect the defense to, to improve upon from last year. Uh, second year under Brent Venables, they should be able to learn the system a little bit more, and that should help them out. The offense should still continue to click, and uh, I expect a good year. Uh, hopefully, they can get better on the offensive and defensive side of the ball on the line uh, as they prepare for the SEC. Uh, so, Boomer Sooner. All right, so before we talk about Zach's video, it made me think of something that I wanted to talk about at the first of this because it was a first-time experience for me. So, you know, this is the first year we've been doing YouTube. Everything else has been a, a, a podcast, audio only. So one of the things that happens when you start doing videos is people recognize you, or at least that's what happens to other people, not to us, right? Well, I was walking through the store, uh, last week in, or first of last week and had someone stop me and tell me that they were a big fan of the podcast. They were watching on you. They've been watching on YouTube and it was actually two people. And one of the, one of the fans was a very young fan and she was super excited about being able to watch pops on YouTube. So you have any guesses who that might be? <laughs> uh, nice, nice. I think I think we heard her in the background. I think you're right. I think you're right. That's awesome. But the vicious horns down at the end is that still a 15 yard penalty? I th I think we're. Where's David when we need him? Yeah, there David. Where's the flag? Yeah. <laughs> Has the rule changed? I don't know. I don't, it will when they get to the SEC. But anyway. <laughs> Well, thank you, Zach, for sending that in. Yes. Now we're going to tell you everything wrong with what you said. <laughs> no. Well done. No. <laughs> Oklahoma comes into the season. Brent Venables is in his second year. Last year, they were six and seven overall. Not a stellar record, but a year of mm -hmm. transition, three and six in the Big 12, which is far below Oklahoma standards. It was their first losing season since 1998. Yep. However, a bright spot to end, end, end the year in the Cheez-It Bowl. It was a 35-32 to 32 loss to Florida State, but as we've already talked about, Florida State's a pretty good football team, yep. Yep. and Oklahoma put in a fight. You always like to see that in a bowl game like that. How's the team going to respond? Have they packed it in already? Evidently, Oklahoma didn't. Now, last year, their offense led the Big 12 in total offense, over 6,100 yards. 32.8 points a game, 474 total yards a game. That that put them at 13th nationally. 
They are led on the offensive side of the ball by Jeff Libby, who spent two years at Ole Miss, but he actually played offensive line at OU. And they return a a pretty good quarterback in Dylan Gabriel, who was the Big Mm -hmm. 12 Newcomer of the Year, passed for 3,100 yards, 25 touchdowns, six interceptions. How about this? 154.4 passing efficiency rating. That's fantastic. And when you look at this offense, Darren, OU has always been known for offense. And and the Mm -hmm. knock on OU, particularly during the Lincoln-Riley years, was they didn't play defense. Do you see the offense continuing the high level this year, or do you see a step back? What what do you expect from Oklahoma in terms of their offense? I think their offense continues to improve. I think – uh, you know, Jeff Levy has things going in the right direction. I mean, just like we talked about, one of the complaints every year under the Lincoln Lincoln Riley regime was too offensive heavy, uh, which means that even though there were several people that left that hit the transfer portal once Lincoln Riley was gone, there was still a whole lot of talent there. And they've continued to recruit and develop talent. So I, I think the offense continues to take a step forward. I think Dylan Gabriel takes another uh, takes a big step forward, has a, a really, really nice year. Um, their, their running backs uh, are, are going to be – it's going to be a strong running back room. So, so that's going to give you some balance and some opportunities to, to open up uh, or uh, – to, to play both sides there and, and not just be run heavy or pass heavy as some teams tend to do sometimes. So I, I think the offense continues to take a step forward and, and is, is a bright spot this year. On the other side of the ball, the defense led by Ted roof, who's been a little bit of everywhere, including a stint at Vandy at one yep. point. He is a co-coordinator with Todd Bates who coached with, Venables at Clemson was a part of the uh, Clemson staff in the 2018 Mm -hmm. national championship team uh, known for being a good recruiter and OU needs that because they struggled in 2022 second worst defense in the big 12. However, some bright spots, they had 104 tackles for loss, 17 interceptions. So all is not lost. There's a lot of work that has to be done. They brought in some transfers on the defensive line They've got a, 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 a great linebacker coming back in Danny Stutzman. I think a, over 120 tackles last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, safety position should be better. When you look at this defense, is, is Venables going to be able to get them to play the defense that he's he's known for throughout his career? Or is this going to be another year of struggle? You know, they've had back-to-back top 10 recruiting classes. They've had uh, also top 10 transfer classes. Uh, and, and it's, I mean, it's, it's Brent Venables. I, I don't, I will be the most surprised if this year's <laughs> defense looks like last year's defense. I think there will be definitely, you know, you talked about Ted Roof, man, that dude has been everywhere, has years of experience. So he knows how to pull a, a defense together, even with your, you're dealing with transfers and new players. I don't think the defense will take as as big of a step forward this year as the offense will, but I still think they take a step forward. I I think so. I I, I would like you, Darren, I'd be absolutely shocked if they don't. um, Absolutely. With, with Brent Venables at the helm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's look at their schedule coming into uh, this season. They, they start off with a, an opener home opener against Arkansas state. Then they have SMU at home, which could pose a little bit of an early challenge. Yep. Uh, they travel September 16th to Tulsa. 
Then September 23rd, they go up to play at Cincinnati. September mm -hmm. 30th, Iowa State. October 7th is the game that is, is circled every year on the calendar. That's but especially against, this year. <laughs> against Texas in the Cotton Bowl. Yep. That's going to be a huge game because there's – well, we'll talk about Texas in a few minutes, but um, I, I think it's safe to say Oklahoma will be the underdog coming into this mm -hmm. game. Oh, definitely, definitely. October 21st, they host UCF, then they travel to Kansas. We'll see how uh, Kansas looks this year. Then mm -hmm. they go to Stillwater for Bedlam, uh, Oklahoma State. November 11th, they host the Mountaineers from West Virginia. And then an interesting schedule scheduling uh, decision. November 18th, they go to BYU. Yeah. That's going to be um, – that's going to be a tough kind of the end – right there at the end of the, the, the year and depending on what TCU looks like and how Oklahoma's schedule is going, you know, that could be a, that could be coming out of your buy. That could be an ugly little run to end the, the season. Cause I think UCF uh, has the ability to, to, to surprise them. Then you've got Kansas at Kansas and Oklahoma state. Will Kansas carry forward? You think it seems that they will, but, but we don't really know because it's Kansas. So you don't really have – there's not that precedent of having multiple years of success. And you've got Oklahoma State, West Virginia, um, and then to finish up at BYU and bring and TCU coming come to Norman, that's, that's a tough end to the schedule. Uh, I mean, it, it's not – don't mean to be whatever, but it's not what we've talked about with some of the SEC schedules. But but that's a that's a final run that, that's got some difficult uh, hurdles potentially in it for sure. Yeah, and they they close out um, with TCU. So yeah. Last year in the Big Twelve. Yep, that's right. And I, I think they have the potential to finish strong. I, I, yeah, I, I was listening to an Oklahoma podcast over the weekend, and and, and the guy is a, he's not an Oklahoma fan. He's an Oklahoma reporter, but he had them at eleven and one. I don't think they're going to finish that strong, <laughs> but I think I think they real they they have the potential to finish strong, and and really have a strong showing in their final year of the Big Twelve. That would be quite the statement. Yep, definitely. Let's move over to Knoxville and talk about the Tennessee Volunteers. And we have another super fan who has recorded a preview of his beloved Tennessee Volunteers. And that's a longtime listener, Brandon, uh, a Tennessee native who now, I believe, is living in West Virginia, but still holds Tennessee close to his heart. Let's look at his preview. Hey, Bruin Shavers. It's Brandon, Hattie, and Hawkins with our 2023 Tennessee football predictions. We think that as a ceiling, the Vols can go as high as 11 and 1, floor 8 and 4, because they do have a pretty tough schedule. They have Florida, AM, Alabama, and Georgia, of course. Um, but as a more realistic take, we think that Tennessee can head into Alabama week 6 and 0 with victories over Florida and AM both, um, taking L to Alabama. Um, win, 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 heading into Georgia week, take another L, went out against Vanderbilt, um, finished the season at 10 and two, and hopefully end up with a, a really good, um, bowl game at the, as a result and finish the overall season at 11 and two. Um, anyways, that's what I think will happen. Uh, go big orange. Go big orange. <laughs> 
<laughs> that was fantastic. That well, was great. We appreciate Hattie and Hawkins yeah. joining in on that. And Brandon was so, uh, you know, he's a huge Tennessee fan, but that was a pretty unbiased preview. Except for the words went out against Vandy. Uh, it was pretty unbiased. <laughs> and it was pretty good. I'll give him credit. <laughs> but yeah, that was a great, that was a great breakdown of their schedule. I, it really was. Let's talk a little bit about Tennessee. Josh Heupel returns for his third year in Knoxville with a record of 18 and eight, his sixth year overall with a record of 46 and 16. Last year, they finished 11 and two, six and two in the SEC. They've got some changes. Not only did they lose Hendon Hooker, they actually lost him at the end of last year, which was a huge blow because they mm -hmm. were really rocking and rolling. Uh, Joey Hazel, who's the quarterback coach, has been promoted to offensive coordinator. Uh, replacing Alex uh, Golish, who's gone to UCF. I believe last year, wasn't Tennessee the number one offense in the nation? Yes, in several different categories. They bring back quarterback Joe Milton, who's big, strong, and has a rocket for an arm. Mm -hmm. The only question is the accuracy and the touch. I think I heard someone on on the Feinbaum show say, I hope he doesn't throw a 100-mile-per-hour ball for a screen pass. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's one of the questions that we'll see this year. He's got some great receivers to throw to. Brew McCoy is coming back. Uh, Squirrel White. How about that? For uh, you yeah. talked about names. Uh, <laughs> Definitely Cooley, on the all name Squirrel team. Yeah. White. We'll have <laughs> to do an all SEC name team. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they've got, they returned their leading rusher from last year, Jalen Wright. When you look at this Tennessee team, and we know Josh Heupel is an offensive guy, right? great quarterback in college. He's been successful everywhere he's been as a coach. Do you expect more fireworks from Tennessee again this year on the offensive side of the ball? I, I think when it comes to coordinator change, I don't know how much of a difference that makes because it's Josh Heupel's offense. Uh, so, whether whether be maybe some different wrinkles, uh, some different kind of cadence, or or you know, what you see in the way plays are called, that could be. But I, I think it's ultimately going to be a very very small thing. To me, when it comes to this offense, the only question is Joe Milton, because whether it be at Michigan or at Tennessee, Joe Milton has never finished a season that he began as the starter. It, it, he's he's lost that starting position every time he started a season in that position. If I'm a Tennessee fan, that scares me because it's it's exactly what you just said. Does he have an incredible fastball? Yes, but let's talk baseball for a, for a little bit. Uh, unless you've got an incredible fastball that that is 100 miles per hour all the time as a pitcher, you're going to be a closer. Outside of that. If you've got a great fastball as a pitcher, what do you have to have? You got to have other pitches that complement it. And the other pitches are what scare me for him. What does a screen pass look like? What does a, a dump off look like? You know, that's that's one of those bubble screens where you're just getting it out to the edge to let, you know, a Brew McCoy or somebody like that really take off down the field. Somebody coming across the middle on just a little seven-yard, you know, little hitch or something. Does the football stick in their face mask, you know, because he throws it so hard and 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 inaccurate? And to me, that's the million-dollar question. And because of that, I'm not sold. Now uh, we talk about names that have been difficult. I'm just going to say his first name, Nico, the the five-star quarterback recruit, is standing there 
waiting, obviously. So there's some some assurance uh, or some reassurance possibly in that. But I, I'm very I want honestly I want Joe Milton to succeed because it would be a great story in college football. Most importantly, would be a great story for him to have all of these things stacked up against you, to, to lose your starting position as many times as he has, and then come back for your senior year and tell this kind of story, absolutely fantastic. But if I'm a Tennessee fan, it scares me, and I don't know I don't know what it looks like if he collapses, if he collapses and loses that starting position again. To, to me, that's very scary, and, and that's the single biggest question of, about this Tennessee offense. Joe Milton doesn't need to carry the burden of the offense this year. Right. If Tennessee can run the ball, last year they were 9-0 when they rushed for more than 155 mm -hmm. yards. Mm -hmm. If they can get that ground game going, that takes a lot of the pressure off of Milton. Absolutely. So let's talk about the defense. Led by Tim Banks in his third season, they were second in the SEC in turnovers force. They have a really stout red zone defense that we saw last year. They've got some some great guys at linebacker, a transfer coming in from BYU. They've got Aaron Beasley, their leading tackler, coming back. Um, strong safeties, even though they might have some issues with their DBs. Mm -hmm. Overall, it looks like a, a pretty solid unit for, for the Vols. You know, their defense got a pretty raw spin uh, from, from the national media because last year, and they really got talked down a lot, and, and didn't necessarily deserve it because their run defense was pretty incredible. I, I mean, this is a defense that held LSU to 13 points that kept Will, Will Levis out of the end zone. You know, so the thing that they have to have this year to take a step forward and kind of shake off some of those, the, the rumblings of the past is exactly what you said. It's all about DBs. That defensive backfield has to take a step forward because you can't run the kind of offense that they run and leave at the other opposing team's offense on the field as much as they do and and run and give up big plays like they did. That has to not happen in order for them to take a step forward. And, and the way they've been recruiting, you would think it's going to. So I, I think defense is a much much more secure feeling if I'm a Tennessee fan going into going into this season than the offense is. Darren, it's only been recently that my nightmares about the LSU-Tennessee game have quit. <laughs> Thank you for rekindling those. I, I appreciate that. that well, I just, see, I, I, Tennessee beat Vanderbilt, at, what, 46 to 49 to nothing or 65 to nothing. I try not to think about it. So it could be worse. <laughs> but you're a Vanderbilt fan. You're used to that. <laughs> yeah, especially when it comes to getting beat by Tennessee. <laughs> Let's look at Tennessee's schedule. They start off with Virginia. That game will be played in Nashville. Austin P. they travel to Florida. They have UTSA coming to Knoxville. They've got South Carolina at home, A&M at home. They go to Alabama. They go to Kentucky. They've got UConn coming to Knoxville. They travel to Missouri, and then they end up with home games against Georgia and Vanderbilt. Is it possible that they do go into this Alabama game 6-0? I think it's very possible. I mean, when you look at that schedule, to, to me, the only thing, because because I'm not buying right now, I'm not buying Florida and South Carolina at all. Uh, so, uh, especially we've talked we talked about during the Florida preview the fact that there it's going to be in Gainesville. 
that has to make you take pause because that is not, I mean, as far back as Peyton Manning's days in the big orange, that has not went well when they played Gainesville. But as much as we like Billy Napier, this is not the same Florida that they're playing in Gainesville that it has been in years past. So I still think that's a win, but you still have to at least take a little bit of a pause because that, that is in Gainesville. The unpredictability of AM is to me is the biggest question mark of that six and zero. But I think that's really, really possible that they go into that game six and zero. And, and then, really, honestly, the scariest part of their schedule is those next two games, Alabama-Kentucky. Going to Missouri is a little bit difficult. And then, of course, you've got Georgia. So that's an interesting schedule. You get that kind of momentum, man. You're talking about adding some flavor to that Alabama game. To me, it's still a most likely an, an Alabama win because of the location, because it's in Alabama. But – Still, you roll into that game six and zero coming off a Texas A and M win, man. That's a nice game. That's going to be a, a fun game to watch if that's the way it sets up. I think they beat Alabama. Really? You think they go to Alabama and pull that off? Wow. I'm going on record. That is a and bold if, take, my friend. <laughs> and if I'm wrong, we will we will delete this episode from. <laughs> Why is there 18 seconds of blank space on it? <laughs> well, let's travel over to Austin, Texas, where we had no Longhorn fans submit a video no. to preview their team. They are led by head coach Steve Sarkeesian in his third season with a record of 13 and 12, which most of the time you'd be saying this guy is going to get fired but right. expectations are sky high due to their recruiting. Mm-hmm. Last year, they finished with an overall record of eight and five, six and three in the Big 12. They've got offensive coordinator Kyle Flood leading the offense, and he has some weapons. Mm-hmm. Quinn Ewers is the starter at quarterback. You, of course, you have Arch Manning waiting in the wings, and we're going to see how that, what happens if Ewers struggles early on in the season. They have a gaping hole at running back, losing Bijan Robinson, who was yeah. incredible. And Absolutely. Right now, kind of, I see this as about three guys, somewhat of a platoon system, and mm-hmm. see which mm-hmm. one of them rises up. Exactly. Uh, a strong wide receiver room, including a familiar face from Georgia, uh, yep. Adonai Mitchell. Remember him in that game against Ohio State? Yep. He made some yep. huge catches. Absolutely. They've got an incredibly strong offensive line that should should open up some holes. What do you see from Texas this year on the offensive side of the ball? I, I tell you, I, I think uh, running back is obviously uh, scary, but when you recruit at the level that they do, your expectation is, you know, do you have another B. John Robinson? No, but – that's not necessarily a fair statement because who does, you know, who's going to have another uh, B. John Robinson, but I think they have some really talented running backs there, you know, in the stable and, and ready to take off and show their spot. So I think running back assure up, I, I think it's all about Quinn Ewers and, and his health. Can he stay healthy and consistent? Uh, because even if he's not healthy and knocked out of the game, can he end up hurt, which affects consistency and ability to play? He has to stay healthy. If he does, I think there's the potential this is the kind of season for the offense that people are, are anticipating it will be. 
Yeah, he was playing well against Alabama last year when he got hurt. Yep, yep. On the defensive side of the ball, the defense is led by defensive coordinator Peter Kwiatkowski. Uh, the D defense was second in the Big 12 in total defense and in scoring defense. They allowed fewer than five yards of play. They've got they've got a, a great player on the defensive line in Baron Sorrell, who had five and a half sacks last year. They've got an all Big 12 performer at linebacker in Jalen Ford. Uh, they, they've got the pieces on defense as well to really put together a special year. They they ended last year with 10 of their starters having some kind of end-of-the-season all-Big 12 recognition, and six of those 10 starters are back. Uh, they have an incredible um, secondary, like you just talked about. I think we're going to see a, a real the potential for a real elevation of, of this squad of this side of the ball for uh, Texas this year, and if their offense takes the steps that, that it uh, the step forward that it seems it's going to, I think that opens the door for an even bigger step forward for the defense, which becomes a pretty scary combination if I'm if I'm having to play them. Uh, so I, I think the defense is really going to look strong this year. I have a Texas trivia question. Oh, I'll wait. Let's let's talk about the schedule, and I'll ask you that during during the schedule. Texas will be tested early on. Their second game of the season, September 9th, they travel to Tuscaloosa yes. to place Alabama. And we're going to learn a lot about this Texas team in Absolutely. that game. We've Absolutely. talked before Tuscaloosa is a tough place to play. We'll, we'll see what we learn from that. Other than that, Darren, the Red River shootout against Oklahoma on the 7th is always mm -hmm. a, a, a mm -hmm. game to watch. But outside of those two games, if, if they somehow win those games, there's a good chance Texas runs the table. Yeah, absolutely. I think the only thing that really kind of sets there is scary for them is, is, is who could slip up on them. Uh, can can a, a Kansas State catch you at the end of the year? Maybe they're a little bit healthier than you are. Can a Texas Tech catch you off guard? That somebody slipping up the, on them is the only thing that kind of is, is a little bit scary when it comes to their schedule. Because, like you said, truthfully, outside of those couple of games, this looks like a pretty favorable schedule for them. Even when you look at home versus away games, it looks like a very favorable schedule. But we did skip over one game, and that is my trivia question. The very first weekend, the very first game, they play the Rice Owls. Who is the Rice Owls' starting quarterback? It's Any a guesses? Big, it, it's a big name. It's um, Is it the kid that uh, was at West Virginia? That is Trans correct. Transferred to West Virginia, then went to Rice, and he was at Georgia before West Virginia. Correct. So he will have played Texas three times as a starting quarterback <laughs> for three different schools during his college career. JT Daniels. How That's crazy is that? <laughs> wow. Wow. So he'll play Texas three times starting as the quarterback for three different schools during his career. I forgot got, he was at Rice. Wow. That's got to be some kind of first, right? I mean, mm. when has that ever happened? <laughs> mm. <laughs> anyway. well, let's, let, let's stay in the, uh, the state of Texas where we're going to travel from Austin to College Station, where there's probably at least three Buckies that we can stop at on the way. Absolutely. Which is never a bad thing. <laughs> no, 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 no. Texas A&M is led by head coach Jimbo Fisher in his sixth year with a record of 39-21. and 21. He's coached for 15 years overall, an overall record of 122-44. and 44. Last year was a disappointment. Mm. 
five and seven overall, two and six in the SEC, which called for major changes. And the biggest yep. was a new offensive coordinator. They brought in Bobby Petrino from yes, Louisville, Arkansas. <laughs> Petrino has been around a while. Aside from the issues that have surfaced in the past, he's yeah. always been recognized as an incredible offensive mind. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, last year, A&M finished 12th in the SEC in total offense. So Petrino has his <laughs> has his work cut out for him. I think they yeah. finished 13th in scoring. Yeah. Connor Wegman has won the quarterback job, but Max Johnson is waiting in the wings. And so we may see more than, than one quarterback. Let's talk about the Bobby Petrino hiring. We initially discussed it, Darren, when the news first came out. Is this does this have a chance of working? What, how do you feel about it now? If Jimbo will leave him alone, that's the million dollar question. Regardless of any feelings you have about Bobby Petrino, if I am a defense coordinator on any other team in the SEC, and I look down the list of coaches and see that an offensive mind like Bobby Petrino has nothing to worry about, but offense. He's not the head coach. He's not all he has to worry about is scheming and play calling with that kind of mind. To me, that's scary because he has, it does not matter where he has been the ability to get the right people in the right place and get the ball in their hands is absolute vintage Bobby Petrino and he has never done it with the level of talent that he's going to have at his disposal at Texas A&M. So if Jimbo leaves him alone, which that's not really, that's, that is the million dollar question, but it won't really be the question until about the fourth game. You know, when we're three or four weeks in, that's when that question's really going to rear, rear its head. If Jimbo leaves him alone and lets him call the offense, this could be one of the most incredible offensive turnarounds we've seen on a team in a long, long time. We'll wait and see. Yep. On on the defensive side of the ball, DJ Durkin returns. He's actually in a co-coordinator uh, role with Elijah Robinson. Last year, Texas A&M was number one against the pass, but they were the worst in the SEC against the run, which – came to amounted to a civil formula for teams playing the Aggies run the yep. ball. Absolutely. They, they allowed over 2,500 rushing yards last year. Goodness gracious. They come back with a, a, a bevy of transfers, particularly in the secondary to help shore up that defense, but still some major question marks on the, on the defensive side of the ball. Yep. And, and I think what you said is exactly the thing. What's the run defense going to look like? Because you, even with a horrible run defense, the passing defense still ha had a respectable showing. When you look at what they allowed in yards per play and, and, and scurrying, uh, scoring uh, in passing plays, they really had a respectable showing. So that is the question. And, and I think when you have the level of talent that they have, you can scheme and correct those things. So – I'm not totally sold on, you know, Texas A&M coming out of nowhere and, you know, being 10 and two and fighting for the West championship or anything like that. But I, I do feel like both sides of the ball will show improvement. 
uh, it's about sustaining that improvement and and keeping out of the all the drama stuff and all of that that silliness that really was part of what thwarted their season last year. Um, you know, the off the field stuff was affecting on the field, uh, and, and they got to keep that jump from happening again this year. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of potential there, but I, I think the defense will will definitely take a step forward. They start off with New Mexico, then they travel to Miami to play the Hurricanes, uh, home game against ULM, home game against Auburn, the annual game against Arkansas and Arlington, and then mm-hmm. they face Alabama, but they got Alabama at home. Darren, I think there's a real possibility A&M is undefeated heading into this Alabama game. I, I agree completely because, the, you know, the Arkansas, who knows what Auburn is going to look like, Arkansas being a um, – a neutral site game, you know, that doesn't give either team an advantage. I think that's a very, very real possibility that they roll into that game uh, five and zero. Oh, but then, goodness gracious, you, Alabama and Tennessee back to back—that's nasty. <laughs> yeah, they, they they come into the Alabama game undefeated, and they could very quickly have two yeah. losses the next two weeks back to back. And for them, if I'm an a And M fan, I look at the schedule, and at least I've got a bye week. If those are two back to back losses, at least I've got a bye week to recover from those. They've got South Carolina at home after their bye week. Then they travel to Oxford to play Ole Miss. <laughs> they got Mississippi State at home. They have Abilene Christian at home. Yeah. I'm not sure why that was scheduled. Hello, they, homecoming. Yeah. And then they finish <laughs> they finish with a trip down to Baton Rouge to, to face LSU. That'll be loud. <laughs> That'll be a night game, or at least it better be. <laughs> they they yeah. Let's yeah. pray it's not an eleven o'clock start. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The stadium's empty because everybody's not finished tailgating. What are you doing? We've only been out here since seven. That didn't give us enough time. We haven't even gotten started yet. What are you talking about? (laughs) Well, that concludes our previews for this 2023 season. We want to remind you to join our CBS Sports Pick'em Challenge. Darren, remind everybody how they can get involved in this. Well, the sports pick'em will be in the link in the let's say I'm trying to get better at this in the comments below or in the description below. It'll also be <laughs> over there no, somewhere. Uh, it'll also be on our link tree. It'll be on Twitter. Uh, we'll tweet it out again this week. And just remember, it'll be involved in, in anywhere you see the link. It'll also be the reminder that the password for the group is is pick'em one two three four exclamation point. But that'll be that'll be there as well. So when it does ask you for that. If you don't have a CBS Sports account, you'll have to create that. But that's a pretty simple process. And and, and we've got quite a bit of people already involved, so we're excited. We'll review that every week starting this coming week. Uh, And um, we'd love to have as many people involved as possible. Be sure to join. Also, do us a huge favor and subscribe to us. We'd love to have you as a as a permanent part of the Brew and Shaver Sports Podcast. Just a Absolutely. couple of guys that love football, particularly SEC mm-hmm. football. We love talking about it, and it just – man, that's just – you make our day by listening to us talk about it and watching. Absolutely. So thank you so much. Subscribe, comment. We love your feedback, good or bad. That's right. Just give us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. New episodes drop every Tuesday at 6 a.m. You can listen at whatever time is convenient for you on whatever podcast platform. Or if you like to watch us on YouTube, watch us on any of your mobile devices or on your TV, whatever's convenient for you. 
Thanks for being here. Thanks for tuning in again. And until next Tuesday, y'all take care. Have a great week. Thank you for making the Brew and Shaver Sports Podcast your go-to sports show. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show if you haven't already. Your feedback is so important. Let us know what you think about this week's show. Send an email to brewandshavers at gmail.com or a text to our text line 318-390-3599. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you again for listening to the Brew and Shavers Sports Podcast. See you next week.